Thank you. It's good to be reminded that the Lord is sovereign. Um, Okay. Sorry, just getting uh, the remote hooked up here. Everybody take a drink. Um, Seems to be having some troubles finding things. So, okay. So what we'll, we might have to do it this way that um, you just go through. So, because um, I can't get the remote to work. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just let you know when I want things changed. Um, but I also need to, uh, my notes. Sorry, guys. <sighs> this is what happens when... Try this again. So, what we're talking about, what we're talking about today, is wisdom, and how you think wisdom is going to be found in technology, but then it just makes you feel dumber than it was when you started. And for the making of more devices, there is no end. Um, do a very good job of compiling all of your notes, but uh, doesn't seem to matter that much. Um, so I need to, uh, settings. Okay. So, uh, we're on the first one. Okay. There we go. No, I don't want to change them. There we go. So, uh, if, so we're talking about what, so, uh, sorry about that. So what we're talking about over the next little while and where this, the, this series on wisdom is going to shift is to talking directly about what is right and just and fair. That is going to be the, 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 the nuts and bolts of what we're going to be talking about over the next little while. And if we want to go to the next slide, we're going to see where this comes from, which is, um, yep. Okay. We're going to see where it comes from, which is, uh, Proverbs 2. And this is where, uh, the, the writer of Proverbs, we believe Solomon, uh, is communicating to his son what he wants him to have with wisdom. And he says, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield for those whose way of life is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. And then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. So this is the the filter through which we're going to view the rest of the time that we're looking at in specific. And as best as we can, we're going to discuss together and discover what is right and just and fair. And that's what we're looking for as Christians as we're attempting to negotiate a complicated world, as we're dealing with things like time and money and, and, and relationships and politics and other ethical quandaries, you know. And, and to this point in the, in the, in, in our wisdom series, I've been kind of hovering at 30,000 feet. One, because that's just what I like to do. I, that's way more fun than engaging in the details of how things are done. If you could just be, look at it hypothetically, then nothing really matters. Um, but I think it's really been really important for us to, to take this long view of wisdom and examine and lay a foundation for what we're working with as we go forward. So if we could go to the next slide there. 
So we've asked, who, what is wisdom for? And ultimately, wisdom is for the glory of God, that we demonstrate God's glory by living lives that are right and just and fair. And what does wisdom do? It guides us in what is right and just as fair. And who is wisdom for? Wisdom is for everyone who is called to a task that is greater than themselves. And is the way of wisdom better than be, being foolish and not having it and, and just not caring? And the reality and the answer is that it is slightly better. Uh, it is, it improves the world just a tiny little bit. And that tiny little bit matters more than you could ever imagine. So the question that we're going to ask now is if we agree with all of these statements, how do we find wisdom? If we agree that, that wisdom is good, it's what we're made for, it's valuable, it's the best for us, it's the best for other people, okay, we agree, now how do we go about getting it? Because there's lots of ways that the world tells us that you get wisdom, and and, and there's lots of paths that we can sort of examine, like getting more education. We all want to have more education. We want, we sometimes see that if we can just attain some level of success, and that generally means having a, an elevated position where you have a leadership position, you make money, you're, you're doing all of those things. Success, you know, and whatever way you call it, being called an expert. That, a, that, a, that if we just develop a level of expertise so that other people call us an expert, then that will give us wisdom. Sometimes we believe that wisdom comes with age automatically. You know, that, that if, as we get older, we become more wise. Or, or, or even uh, some extra faithful people will say that it comes with church attendance and following through with what Jesus is called to in, in terms of being a Christian. But we all know that those in and of themselves aren't where wisdom is found. Because we all know someone who has attained an, a, a, an extremely high level of education and, and is an abject fool, you know? When I was managing a Starbucks, I once worked with a guy who was a PhD in philosophy. And, and he, would, uh, uh, he would talk about how stupid all of the uh, people that came into Starbucks were, and he would brag about his PhD in philosophy, and I would be like, shh making lattes and be like you realize you work here with the rest of us like somehow his phd had blinded him to the fact that he was a barista like the rest of us we all know that being successful doesn't necessarily equate with wisdom we know that that often people who call themselves experts in one field of of inquiry or study are complete fools in every other area of their lives and as much as i do believe that age does bring with it a modicum of wisdom we all know that there are some people who, have, who, who are elderly who have not gotten any wiser with their years at all. That person exists. And we all also know that it doesn't necessarily come with church attendance or all of the outward appearances of, of Christianity because we know people that attend church weekly and are just as foolish as, as the worst pagan in the world. All those things are good, but they're not guarantees. So if we understand that, that those things that we know conventionally look for for wisdom are not guarantees, how then do we find wisdom? And I think that the Bible is quite clear what our starting point is. And the starting point for wisdom, the first step towards wisdom, is to be aware that you need it. If you can go to the next slide. 
This is a passage that we bec- I hope we've become quite familiar with over the last little while. This is James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now this is one side of the equation. That if we lack wisdom, we need to ask for it. And that's a, a beautiful and a good thing. There's another side of the equation as well, which has this. If we could go to the next slide. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That is from Proverbs 1. And this is an interesting thing because like, wait a minute, we just had one that said, just give, ask the Lord for it and he is generous and good and loves you and will give you wisdom. And then we have the second part which says, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So is it, is it generosity and asking and bravery or is it fear? And how do we put these together? Because these two things, if we could go to the next slide. These two verses show us what appear to be fear and freedom. And in most of our world, these are polar opposites. They can't exist at the same time. We, we couldn't possibly have the fear of the Lord if we're going to come to Him asking, expecting Him to give generously without finding fault. If we really had a fear of the Lord, we would recognize that like, wait a minute, I've already behaved so foolishly in so many ways that how could I possibly come to the Lord and ask Him for wisdom without Him just laughing in my face? In the same way, how can we fear a Lord that is so good to us and so generous and kind to us? This is a a box that the world has forced us into, which unfortunately pulls us away from biblical truth because the reality is that these things do coexist in that love and trust and and a desire for what is best for us and a willingness to intervene on our behalf as we see in James that that beauty that we have as we love and trust the Lord is connected also to respect and awe and an awareness of power to intervene and to make a difference that we need both of these things at the exact same time. And, and, and as much as we struggle to put these together, I can find no better example for this than, than the fact that this is Father's Day. And that if God is truly our Father, this is where the metaphor holds up. Because we want to trust God as Father who loves us deeply and comes to us uh, generously and is more than willing to give us everything that we need and is more than willing to intervene on our behalf, but also has the power to intervene and also is not to be trifled with or messed with. And the fact that He wants the best from us will force Him to come into conflict with our desires on occasion. That we can't say just like a, um, there's a a, ver, uh, a wonderful verse that uh, that I love where uh, Jesus tells the story. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Saying that saying that if God is if if God is your father in heaven is good to you, which of you fathers are going to give your son something terrible if they ask for it? And, and that, that's what Jesus says, uh, and, and that's a beautiful statement. But the, but the corollary of that is also true, which which of you fathers, if your son asks for a chainsaw, will actually give it to him, right? We're not going, no, you're not getting a chainsaw for your birthday, okay? You've got to take some chainsaw courses, and then we can talk about the chainsaw, but not this year. Um, 
these are the two things that we hold at the same time, okay? That, that, that God is, is deeply worthy of our respect. He is not to be trifled with, and He demands our best. But at the same time, as much as that is true, that is, uh, at the same time, He loves us so deeply and is willing to give us anything that we ask for, anything that we need, and He is willing to jump in to fight on our behalf any time that we need it. This is the dichotomy of fathering. And this is a delicate balance that God demonstrates for us. But, but if I'm to give any instructions to fathers today that I also need to follow, this is the instruction that we, that, that, the, this is the balance that we need to have. And for those of you that have been deeply wounded by fathers or, or have an absence there, I would guess that part of it ba- relates to this tipping of the balance that it's tipped too far over into fear or it's tipped too far over into permissiveness where the balance wasn't held in check. It's becoming more and more difficult for us to do, but that is the reality to which we've been called. And that is what God does for us. And this also shows the attitude which is the start of our wisdom. If we could go to the next one. So how does one find wisdom? And the one finds wisdom by asking the Lord with childlike humility and faith. The first step is an awareness that like, wait a minute, I don't know everything. And this world is complex and confusing and I need wisdom that comes from on high just to be able to navigate the realities of the world to which I've been called. This thing is bigger than I am and I don't know everything. But that brings about the second one, if we could go to the next one, that brings another question, which is equally important for us to, to answer, which is like, okay, it comes from asking the Lord in childlike humility and faith, but how does it come? How does wisdom that, come from, that comes from the Lord come? And I think that there's four answers to this question that I'm going to give, and trust me, it's not going to take that long, so don't worry. So if we can go to the next one. This is what Psalm 1 says, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture at all time. Uh, of all times, and Teddy actually, is something falling from the ceiling? Sorry. No, okay. I just saw, it's okay. Sorry. Ignore me. Um, I got distracted. Uh, Psalm 1 is one of my favorite passages of scripture, and, and actually, Teddy, I, for, for, uh, for Father's Day this year, I got a watch made of wood, which I didn't know existed, uh, which is great, but it has, uh, part of Psalm 1 verse 3 on the back of it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that law day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of living water which bears its fruit in season. This is interesting that the blessed is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And, and I love this translation. This is an accurate Hebrew translation, translation of the word Torah, which means law. But one of the problems that we have in, in contemporary North American culture is that laws are to be negotiated and laws are often viewed in the negative and laws are, are things to be, are, are things to find loopholes in. And that is, uh, an unfortunate aspect. So I think it, we can use an equally good translation, which I think is going to help us uh, a little bit. And if we go to the next one, but whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord and who meditates on his instruction day and night. Instruction is, is God trying to tell us this is the way you're made and this is how life works in light of that. And it comes 
So, uh, and I think that this changes our attitude toward, uh, to how we look at the word, because rather than seeing it as a book of laws, expecting that we're going to find loopholes and, 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 and negotiations and, 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 and deals and compromises within the context of those laws, we can now start to see it as instruction that like, wait a minute, if we want our world to work as it was created to do, we, we need to follow some of these examples well. Not that the Bible is an owner's manual for living. That is a terrible image and inaccurate. But as we go to this, I, there's a couple of things about an attitude towards the word that I want us to keep in mind. Whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord and who meditates on the instruction day and night. There's two things that come from this that we need to pay attention. And one is a pleasure whose delight is in the law of the Lord. How many, and let's be extremely honest here, how many of you, by show of hands, love Bible reading? Okay, 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 that's, that's good, that's good, that's good. And I believe that. That's exactly what I expected. I expected it to be a little bit lower. Let's be honest. For many of us, Bible reading is a ton of work. And even as much as you know that you ought to do it, it feels like going to the gym where it's like, I know, I know I should like not eat garbage and I should like move until I sweat every day, but that's not a fun thing to do. That's okay. I get it. But I do believe that just as, as eventually exercise becomes more fun once your body gets used to it, I do believe that the Bible begins to become more pleasurable the more that you devote yourself to it. The more that you offer yourself to it and with the expectation that God is going to speak to you from it, you're, you, you begin to find like, wait a minute, there's something in here that is good and valuable and worthwhile. You start to appreciate the stories, the nuance, the humor. And I, and, and I, and I will nerd out on you because like I'm super into this. This. this is just me, but I get it. But I do believe that pleasure comes the deeper that you get to know it. But that only comes with the second part of it, the time. Who meditates on that instruction day and night. And there's an element where we have to give time to the Word of God in order for it to work in our lives. And now, if you're currently giving none, start giving five minutes. I believe that God will honor those five minutes. But it comes with a dedicated decision to I'm going to give this book some of my time, not merely because this is a book, but because God is going to speak to me. And I'm trusting that as I am humbling myself to this word, I'm going to hear him speak to me. It matters with time. And I don't care, like, I I don't want to make you feel bad if currently you're at zero Bible reading a day, okay? If you're at zero, that's fine. That's a great place to start. You can't go into the negatives, so, so zero is a fine place to start. But if you can jump up to five, that's great. Five minutes. Five minutes. You can do that, okay? And the, and the discipline of doing that every day will pay off for you, I believe, in finding more and more pleasure in God's Word. There's a couple of ways that you can do this really easily. You can, uh, you can come to our Bible study on Tuesday nights. Uh, we are currently looking at the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. I wholeheartedly recommend it. It's awesome. Um, the, but I mean, there's other ways. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can get someone to email you the Bible every day and it just shows up and then it's there and you read it. That there's it, with technology in our world, there's no excuse for not being engaged with the Bible. Unfortunately, uh, it's a, it's a, a beautiful and frightening thing. Um, okay. Let's go, let's go to the next one. 
So it, it, it's not just there. This is what Paul says about it. He says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is really helpful. One, because it points out to us that, that, that becoming acquainted with the Word of God is how we're set up to intervene in the world, how we're set up and equipped to do what God has called us to do. But what this verse also does, because it says ever all Scripture is God-breathed and is is useful, there's a tendency that sometimes what we have to do is to start, is to place this Bible, which is good and wonderful in the Word of God, but we take this and we make it our idol rather than having God himself as our, as, as our God. And we say like, well, how much time did you spend in this? And how, and we start to use verses from this Bible as a weapon to beat other people with. And and a way, rather than to to discover what God is calling us to in the midst of this, but using this as a way to build ourselves up so that we are more righteous, more holy, more powerful than other people. That's not what it's been called to do. Scripture is God breathed and it's useful. And it's useful as we use it for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we'll be equipped for every good work. That is the point of the Word of God, is to be equipped to do good for the world. And this is how we're set up to face the world. Can we go to the next one, please? So how does one find wisdom? By asking with childlike humility and faith. How does, the, how does wisdom come? It comes from the Word of God. That's not the only place it comes, though. Okay? If we want to go to the next slide. Because right after we have this God Scripture part, right before that, we have Paul instructing Timothy in how to hold to what he says. And this is what he says to Timothy. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. This is really fascinating. See, Timothy learned the scriptures, learned his faith from his mother and his grandmother. That these were were women that built into him who God was and his connection to that. Paul's not talking about himself in this situation, although Paul was definitely involved in his mentorship because of what we know from earlier in Timothy. He's referring to to Timothy's uh, mother and grandmother. Can we uh, so we continue to learn from these mentoring and maturing relationships. If we can go to the next one. Colossians 3 says this, Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. One of the things that God uses to bring us wisdom is that we're all here together. And when we're all here together, there's nothing that we, the, there's nothing that we haven't faced together. You might not have faced it individually, but we together have faced it. And that is how you learn from each other. And we recognize that there is wisdom in this room because God's spirit is on everyone in this room, not just on me. And there is wisdom to be had in listening to each other and hearing from each other. Okay? There is value in that. One of my um, one of my favorite illustrations of this, and I've done it before, is I don't know if you notice when we sing clapping songs that uh, I don't clap right away. It's not because I have a problem with clapping. I mean, I have a problem with clapping. I like clapping. Clapping is good to do. My problem with clapping is that I do it wrong. Um, can I get JB and Aaron, uh, you guys, just to... Can you, what's a song that we normally clap in? 
I got a river of life. Okay, did we do that today? I can't even remember. Okay, so we did I got a river of life. How do you clap in I got a river of life? Right. That, that's how you clap. You clap properly. I would clap the, uh, the wrong way. How would you clap the wrong? Could you even do it? Yeah, I would, that's how I would do it. So I never clap until I look at Aaron first. And I'm like, Aaron is, Aaron knows how to clap. I'm, I don't have faith in my own clapping. So I look to someone else's clapping and I'm like, ah, they know what they, they know the way. This is when I do the thing. That's what faith so often is like. We expect that all of us are automatically going to get the beat on our own. And we expect that, like, if I don't have this individually inside myself, that I'm somehow less of a Christian than somebody else is. But faith is designed, and God has designed it together so that when we sit here feeling like, I know I'm supposed to believe this, I know I'm supposed to have faith in this, I know I'm supposed to have the wisdom that comes from everybody, I don't have the beats right now, we can look to each other and admonish one another. We can look to those who we know and say like, wait a minute, that person's got the beat and I'm going to follow them for a little while. I'm going to do what they do because I trust them. I trust that God is working in their lives. And that's what we do with each other. That is where wisdom comes from as well. From listening to and hearing from each other's stories. And we can do that well. And, and we spur each other on as we encourage and we learn dis- discipline from each other. This is, And maybe this is mostly for me, but I have a lot of nonsense that flows into my head. And one of the easiest ways for me to get nonsense out of my head is to say that nonsense out loud in front of somebody who is wise and just watch the look on their face as they go like, nah, that's a terrible idea. You should spend no more time thinking. Like, <laughs> I once had the idea. I still think it's a reasonably good idea. But that, that we should uh, let people bring their dogs to church. That that would be a way. I don't like dogs that much. Um, but I just thought that that would, a lot of people are like, I don't go to church because I can't find a place for my dog to stay. So I was like, what if we just let them bring dogs? Lots of people like dogs. Um, and then I said that out loud to Joe, and Joe was like, no. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe it's a good idea. And then I said it to Brenda, and Brenda was like, no. So it's not a good idea. It's, but I didn't know that until I said it out loud in front of somebody else. Okay, um, let's go to the next one. So wisdom comes from the Word of God. Wisdom comes from the people of God. If we can go to the next one. Wisdom also comes in other ways as well. This is what Paul says in Romans 5. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We glory in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We also learn wisdom from the circumstances that we go through. And particularly, in, in particular, difficult circumstances will be used by God to bring us to maturity. It's one of the most frustrating things to learn. As we go through life, we think that difficulty comes from my sin. Difficulty comes from someone sinned against me. Difficulty comes from I made a bad choice. And all of those things can be true. 
I'm not going to deny them. But sometimes you will go through a difficult circumstance that you had no control over because God is saying, okay, do you trust me now? Now when there's a storm going on, now when the boat is rocky, now when the finances are uncertain, now when it's not clear how things are going to go, do you trust me now? And it's... And, and I wish that it weren't so, but the Bible points to it time and time again that this is how he teaches us. And we know this from experience. We don't learn necessarily that well when things are going great. We don't learn necessarily that well from ease and, and success. But man, we get punched in the face by life a couple of times and we start to learn. God does that intentionally. He's using our circumstances to bring us to maturity, to bring us to wisdom. So if we go to the next one. How does wisdom come? It comes from the Word of God. It comes from the people of God. It comes from the paths of God, which can often be difficult. Can we go to the next one? And the next one. But it... All of this is undergirded by the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus said, and I think that this is um, incredibly important. I have much more to say to you now, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is to come. The Spirit of God, if you've given your life to Jesus... The Spirit of God is working within you. The Spirit of God is working within you to bring you to maturity, to bring you to wisdom, to bring you to truth. And we can trust that that is happening. It also says in Romans that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Okay? So we have not been abandoned or left on our own to stumble through this in the best ways that we can imagine. The Holy Spirit is guiding us and working in us, and we can trust that He is faithful to us and will bring us to knowledge and wisdom and confidence. No matter how confused we may feel in the moment, and I am confused a lot of the time, no matter how insufficient we feel in the moment, and I feel insufficient a lot of the time, the Holy Spirit is working in us to bring us to truth and wisdom and confidence. If we go to the next one. So wisdom comes from asking through childlike, with childlike humility and faith, but it comes by engaging in the Word of God. It comes from being with the people of God. It comes from continuing to walk along the paths of God. And it's undergirded and filled by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> and all of these things in concert... All of these things working together, not in isolation. All of these things in concert bring wisdom. I think that that's really important because individually, these things are kind of dangerous. I went to Bible college with a bunch of guys that had the Word of God. They had the Bible locked in their brains, but they didn't trust the people of God. The Holy Spirit wasn't working with them. They hadn't experienced anything that would bring them to maturity, and the Bible only made them more dangerous. It was just used as a tool to, to fill up their own pride. We've seen people that, that 
have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit working within them, but they don't have the whole the, the, the Word of God to guide them in all truth, so they're kind of off the rails a little bit. You, they're unpredictable and untrustworthy. You can't, you can't give, you, you, they, they can't speak into issues with a level of maturity and nuance because there, there's no grounding to who they are. This is important, and, and, and all of these things work in concert together, not in isolation, to bring us to wisdom and maturity. And this is really important, because as we start to look at specific instances uh, and, and issues where we're looking to find out what is right and just and fair, this is what we're going to bring to bear on it. These are the tools that we're going to use when we start to talk about economics and politics and relationships and time and all of those things. These are the tools sorry, uh, that, that we're going to use as we go back. Yeah, in the... <laughs> We're going to take the word seriously. We're going to pray and ask for God's wisdom. We're going to listen to our brothers and sisters. We're going to wrestle with our own experience, and we're going to trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can go to the next one now. So the question that we have to ask, because I think that we're, I think if I asked you, do you want wisdom, all of you would be like, yes, I want. I don't think there's a person here who would be like, no, I'm actually fine. I, I don't. The question is, are we looking in the right places? And are we willing to pursue it wherever, we, wherever it goes? Are we willing to discipline ourselves to actually engage in the study of God's Word? Are we willing to, in humility, submit to the wisdom of other people and do the spade work of actually connecting with other people with all of their weirdness um, to, to, to trust that God is speaking his hope and truth into them? Are we willing to see our experiences, especially those that are difficult, through the, the lens of God bringing us to maturity? Are we willing to frame the world that way? And are we willing to, uh, are, are we willing to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us and among us? That's the challenge that we have. Because I don't think the question is, do we want wisdom? I think the question is, are we willing to do the work? And are we willing to allow God work on us to get it? It's not an easy path. It wasn't set up that way. But it is available when we, when we need it. And it brings glory to God. And it guides us in what is right and just and fair. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. That you are approaching us with the generosity of a father saying, ask me for wisdom and I'll give it to you. But we also thank you that you have the power of a father as well, who is not content to allow us to continue on foolish paths or to do things that will damage us or to do things that will damage others, but you are ready and powerful to intervene. And that is no more clearly, de- nowhere more clearly demonstrated than on the cross where you sacrificed yourself for us. So as we enter into this time of singing songs and to meeting at your table, we, we continue to ask for wisdom. And that as we go from here, we would have a deeper awareness of what is right and just and fair and how we can bless the world through it as you have called us to do. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.